0: Welcome to Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark, and Christian Dryden of The Ritualists joins us for this episode. A lot of times, I'll ask guests when they had that moment that they thought music could be a career for them. Well, Christian never really had that moment. He just always knew that this is what he was going to do. And he's always been just as influenced by Duran Duran as he has been by Led Zeppelin. And those really different sounds definitely shine through in his music. And we also geek out on a band that we both love and have seen live, but in different phases of their career. So we get into Christian's writing process, and we discuss a particular song on the new album, Baroque and Bleeding that he thinks may not even be finished yet. He also tells me what song he wrote that kind of came out of a dream. So if you listen to this episode, you may notice that Christian's voice bears resemblance to Simon LeBond. Well, it turns out that Simon is a fan of the band, which suits them just fine. So check out Baroque and Bleeding wherever you get your music. Follow The Ritualists at the underscore Ritualists on Instagram, and on Facebook at The Ritualists. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media. We accept coffee at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. And you can buy merchandise at performanceanx.threadless.com. So let's get started with Christian Dryden of The Ritualists on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
1: This is Christian Dryden from The Ritualists, uh, we have a new record out. It's called Baroque and Bleeding. You should check it out. And I have performance anxiety, and I've been on performance anxiety.
0: All right. Oh, nice painting. Thank you. That's pretty wild. I like that.
1: That's Dionysus from uh, Pompeii.
0: Oh my gosh! I'm getting old. I got my 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 progressives on. I got to look, look look at the bottom. Through my the bottom of my glasses, I'm like oh well, god, can you see it now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. I want to thank you for joining me tonight. I've listened to both albums, and it's so great, man. It's thank you. You got such a cool sound. It's it's hard to describe because it before a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't familiar with the music with the band. Right, hearing the music actually, I've got feelings of nostalgia. Because it reminds me of so much stuff that I listened to growing up.
1: Well, there you go. That's and it, good.
0: It was so cool. So the way I like to kind of start is to find out how you got into music in the first place. Like, is it, was it something that was prevalent in the household growing up? Or was it something you struck out on your own to find? Were you playing instruments as a kid? What got you into music in the first place?
1: Okay, so, um, I mean, I was just naturally drawn to music, I think. I mean, as a very young kid, I used to, you know, whatever was on the radio, whatever my parents would play on the radio, I, I have older sisters, whatever they would play, I was just drawn to, I would put on these little performances for my whole family. Okay. When we'd have like a big uh, family dinner, like a Sunday dinner, where my grandparents were there, I would I would put like a whole routine where I would like lip sync and mime to... Uh, <laughs> The songs, you know, oh, and that awesome. was really Yeah, and I and I think that was probably considered pretty sophisticated for like a five year old. But the irony is like adult children do that now and that's all they do. I mean it's called TikTok, but like <laughs> I was I was TikToking, you know, years before there was any TikTok. And oh, man. uh you know that was really my first introduction to music was primarily through my um my older sister. Okay. And um she actually had, um, had a boyfriend who played the drums and he was in a punk band. Oh. And at the time I was messing around with the guitar. I might've been about 11 or 12. And I, and I got behind his drum set one day and I hit the drums and it was like something magical went off in my brain. And oh. I, I just, I picked up the drums really quickly. So I started out in, in bands in high school as a drummer and I would be like the backing vocalist. And eventually the backing vocalist became the lead singer because the lead singers weren't that good. <laughs> and then realizing, you know, in in later years that like a singing drummer isn't really the best way to present this music that I'm trying to do. I picked up the bass, which is sort of like playing the drums with strings and being able to stand up. And so I started writing on the bass and singing, you know, and I, and I think that's kind of what separates us with, from a lot of the other bands within our genre is, um, as the primary songwriter in this band, there are songs that I write based around a drum groove because I'm a drummer or a bass line, or a guitar line because you know, bass and guitar are very similar with the riffs and all. Okay. Um, so I think we have an advantage in that respect and that, in that we can come at, um, songwriting from many different angles.
0: Well, yeah. Having a multi-instrumentalist be the primary songwriter. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big advantage.
1: I think the, the guys think it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse because, you know, when you have a, the poor drummer in the band, when I look at him and I say, hey, Eric, I have this idea, he basically knows the road we're about to go down, you know. Um,
2: it's going to be know, a challenge a for
1: curse. him. Yeah.
0: So where were you from originally? I know the band is based out of New York City.
1: I'm from New Jersey originally. Oh,
0: lived in Jersey for thirteenth foot. Let me think. 16 years, something like that. Yeah.
1: Oh, you lived in Jersey as well? Yeah. Oh wow! Are uh, you still in Jersey? No, I'm in Virginia now.
0: I'm uh, um, oh, 75 sweet. miles due west of DC. But uh, I oh
1: nice. I love Virginia.
0: Virginia's beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm in the Winchester. Really pretty. Yeah, but I mean, I, I lived in a pretty rural start uh, part of Jersey too. So it was uh, central Jersey, right on the like the border of Flemington or um, Hunterdon and Somerset counties, right on Flemington, Somerville oh, area. So.
1: I know the area,
0: yeah. So Awesome, awesome. So, all right, so, you know, I'm familiar with your stomping grounds.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> How old were you when you when you started getting bands together and uh, deciding you wanted to play out live?
1: Well, I had always, I mean, when we would write stories in, in like, third grade about what we wanted to be when we grew up, yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to be Peter Pan, you know, I wanted to be a rock star. So I've always wanted to do this. And at the moment I started to be able to play drums, it was just a no-brainer. Like, let's, let me find, you know, I I knew a couple guys, you know, that they thought they could play guitar and bass or whatever. So, you know, we had bands probably starting around junior high and, and just, and just continued. We'll be right
0: back after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset and a special offer to performance anxiety listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com performanceanxiety performance anxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performance anxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. What were you listening to at this time? That was really influencing you.
1: You know, like I said, um, particularly my, my, oldest sister had quite an influence on me in terms of music. And she was bless you. She, Thank she you. was into, <laughs> she was into like, I mean, older stuff for her time. And I mean, it was black Sabbath and, um, Nice And Led Zeppelin. And, and those were the first bands that I, that I really had ever heard like rock and roll bands. You know, I would always tell people like Keith Moon and John Bonham were my drum teachers, you know, because oh, yeah. that, that's what I listened to. And then as I started to find my own way, I was really drawn toward actually Duran Duran Um much to the chagrin of my sister <laughs> who didn't, who weren't really into that stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, macho enough or tough enough yeah. or whatever. But, you know, I used to, you know, you know, sing the Duran songs into the mirror and pretend to be Simon Leban and um, something about the music. I mean, it was, it was melodic, very melodic to me and very rhythmic. And yet um, it was poppy, you know, so it was very accessible. Oh, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't overly dire. And I think, you know, as a kid for as cool as I thought Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin were, they go to really, really dark places Yeah, um, yeah. that sometimes, you know, um, can be, can be tough for the, the, um, mentality of, of, a, of a younger kid. And, and not that Duran Duran don't have dark moments as well. It's just, I think the pop element, the excitement and the energy, and they just, it just seemed, um, I don't know. I was just, I was just drawn, I was drawn into that direction. And, and from there, you know, it was like a gateway drug to the cure and um, yeah. all of like that post-punk stuff, echo and the Bunnymen oh yeah, and the early cult. Okay. And um, I would, you know, th- those vocalists are very much in my wheelhouse in terms of the way I sing and my range. So I really identified with that stuff. Um, but um, you know, I like a lot of different rock stuff. You know, I'm not just I wouldn't just pigeonhole myself as like a new wave guy or whatever. But that was that was the first like serious, serious flirtation I had with like really um, deciding this is the musical direction I want to go. And so those were the earliest like those guys laid the uh, the groundwork for for what I'm what I'm doing now, I think.
0: I remember listening to early Duran Duran, you know, when it was new and it was mm-hmm. just it was one of those things that. I was also big into metal, like uh, Megadeth's P-Cells was one of my favorite albums. I, I got it when it was brand new, but then I also got Duran Duran's Seven and the Ragged Tiger, you know, around the same time. That's pipe.
2: cool.
1: And it so was, you're open-minded.
0: I was, and now my friends were not so much, so I, and they're all metalheads, so like Duran mm-hmm. Duran was something I would listen to, but I would put the cassette in like a Metallica cassette and just gonna kind of hide it when I went to school. So oh, what'd you listen to? Oh, I got Kill uh, kill 'em all. Oh, cool. Okay. And then but oh in- inside is a cassette of like uh arena that the live show, the arena, the, the live. Yeah. yeah, arena. Yeah. It That's was so interesting. It wasn't an easy time to be as uh open minded musically back
1: back in the mid eighties. Well, the eighties was such you know, I I really it was it was before my time, but I I, I mean I looked back at that, the music that was happening and um, it was really, I think, the most diverse time for the radio oh, yeah. and the most diverse time for rock and roll because you had heavy metal bands, you had just straight up rock and roll, you had new wave, you had dance, you even had rap sneaking its way in there and you had r and yeah. all in the charts and you could put on a concert like a live aid where you had all of those artists and they were equally capable of capturing an audience. They were all great live players. And there has never been a, another time, I think, in the history of popular music where, where it's been like that. So I think the 80s is very unique. You know, the 80s gets a bad rep because a lot of, I think the established seventies stars sold out in the eighties and did their sellout albums.
2: Oh yeah. But
1: as far as, uh, diversity of, of music that was available in the, on the charts, I mean, it's, it's, you know, okay, nothing.
0: that's one of the things that I really liked about your music is you can hear the mix of influences. I mean, it sounds like an uh, uh, 80s mixtape. I mean, I can hear influences from new wave, metal, pop, goth. You know, I can hear yeah. it, shoegaze. I can hear all these awesome influences in one album from you, and it's just that's when I like when I mentioned earlier that it was it's making me feel nostalgic. That's why, because I can hear everything that I grew up listening to in one or two songs, and throughout the whole album. But you know, in one song, you'll have a different almost a metal solo in a new wave sounding song. It's just, it's right. so cool.
1: Well, thank you. You know, we're trying to take everything and create, create our own by kind of putting everything into a blender, I guess. That's so the, uh, hence pop art, you know, right?
0: How old were you when you really decided, well, you know this is something that I want to do. I want to, I want to make music. I want to try to do this for a
1: living. I mean, I, I, I've always... I mean, just it's just always been, been the thing. I mean, I've, I've gone to school and, and whatnot, but like this has always been, you know, my, my passion and my goal. Um, uh, what, what I've set my sights on. So, I mean, That's I awesome. couldn't really put a, a timetable on. So it there there was no
0: like lights bulb moment when, when things switched to hey, this is great. It, would, it was just always there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, my, and then things started to pop with the record deals. It wasn't like, oh, wow, you know, this is now, I, now I want to do this. Okay. It was always like, well, of course, like this is the next logical step to things to getting to where we need to be. It was never like, okay, now I think I could, I could really focus on this. It was always like, I was already focusing on it. So,
0: so the, the first band that, that I, in the, my research went back and, and could find for me that had videos and, and things I could research was Starbolt 9. Mm-hmm. Was that the first Band that you would start really recording with?
1: Wow, you really did your research. How, how did you find that?
0: Uh just a whole hell of a lot of rabbit holes. <laughs>
1: yes that was that was and it was the same keyboard as actually Jeff okay. Jeff Binder. So, yeah, that was like the first incarnation of everything yeah
0: oh, okay. you guys did some really awesome covers Jane's Addiction's Three Days um the Colt Spirit oh. Walker uh-huh it's just some awesome <laughs> stuff
1: thank you yeah that was a fun that was fun Matt Penfield actually introduced us that night, oh, what? That night.
0: <laughs> oh man that was a good you guys are wearing some pretty wild costumes
1: Oh, yeah, that was actually... Okay, so the show where we did those covers was a Halloween show. Okay. We do try to dress up for our shows, but to the, not to that degree. <laughs> not the enormous hat and... Yeah. <laughs> and yeah I, that was a wild one. All right, so
0: I've got another question about a video I saw, and I kind of wanted to find out how, what your connection is to this, because I did see you doing uh, Satellite of Love with the Lou Reed crew band. So everybody in that band is some former tech of Lou Reed. You're singing right. in it. So what's your connection with everybody?
1: Well, my connection is with the um the organizer of that event, is a promoter and organizer who's booked me many times. Okay. And she knows that I'm a huge Lou Reed fan and Velvet Underground fan. And so when she was putting the night together, the Lou crew they were doing this sort of thing where they, where they wanted to do a set, and they, had, they would have guest singers get up, different personalities, okay. nightlife personalities from New York City. So she chose me to get up and do a few, a few of those songs. So that's kind of how that materialized. That was a lot of fun.
0: That, it looked like it was a lot of fun, man. That was, you look like you're having it's... a blast up there.
1: <laughs> I was, I was. That was a fun one.
0: So how did Starbolt 9 become the Ritualists? Is there um, anything in between, or was it a, was it a clean no, break? Nothing,
1: nothing really in between. It was just a decision to um, to change it up to part ways with some with some band members and to kind of go in a different direction. I think that project had sort of gone as far as we could take it with the personnel we had, and we just decided to just tweak things a little bit, and we thought a name change was um, was necessary or was warranted.
0: How did you come up with The Ritualists?
1: You know, we were thinking about names and uh, a, a story came up. A friend of mine was, was describing a night he had. I think he went to see, I don't know if it was the Stone Roses or some band that oh. we all loved. And, and he was like, "And I, I love the Stone Roses myself. And, and oh, he yeah. was like, you know, he's like, I went out there and I'm in the crowd and everybody, you know, knew every word. And he's like, I'm thinking to myself, like, this isn't just entertainment. <laughs> you know, he's like, this is a spiritual experience. He's like, it's like church. He's like, but different. Everybody's on the same wave, wavelength. We're all like throwing our hearts behind the same sort of ideas. He's like, the whole thing was sort of like a ritual, you know, the whole rock and roll performance, the yeah. whole, the whole thing. So I thought to myself, I, I, I mean, it, it has a lot of uh, interesting connotations, things you can do with it graphically, you know, visually, I, I think it fits for how much, what we, the, the, the amount of soul that I, I put into uh, the project. So I thought it was fitting.
0: Now speaking of the, like you're saying, the graphics and the artwork, I love the artwork on, on both albums. Now, the first one, I'm with the painted people. Yes. That, I love that cover. That is so cool. Who did that? Thank you.
1: Um, a great, a great artist. Uh, her name is Brianna Rose De Felice. She's actually based out of Brooklyn. And she put that design together specifically for the album. And um, you know, we were throwing things, it was it was like, uh, it was me, the manager, and the label were throwing ideas around with her. And I was like, let's let's try to have something somewhat tribal looking, but somewhat, you know, futuristic and somewhat gothy and somewhat this, and like yeah. and she came up with this design, which we all thought was pretty, pretty cool and striking. And that's that's sort of those was her her thing,
0: you know? It it fits with the sound of the album, too. It's got it. I mean, there's such an everything of the 80s is in your sound. That album cover reminds me of some of uh, like my favorite album covers of the 80s. It's just, it kind of fits. It's got that, yes, 90125, but still a little uh-huh. Genesis Abacab kind of look to it. It's just, sure. it's really, really fitting. Fits the music perfectly.
1: Thank you. I'm glad. Glad it did the trick.
0: <laughs> Has the songwriting changed a lot between the first and second albums? I mean, are you, uh, I guess, primary songwriter for the whole band? Yes.
1: Uh huh. And um, I'd like to believe I'm evolving. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the songs are definitely different. I think we've we've gone in a slightly different direction, but I think it's still. I mean, it fits. You know, I think we could get away with it. any songs from the first or the second albums in the same set list. I don't think it sounds like a, a shock. It would be the shock, a shock to anyone's ears. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: when you're bringing songs in for the band, are you directing them, like orchestrating them, what to do? Or are you open to let, letting them interpret the songs in their own way?
1: I think it's a bit of both. Yes. Okay. Usually, I'll come to the band with with either a riff and and chords with with the vocal melodies on top and lyrics, or sometimes it's just a chord progression with some lyrics. And um, you know, depending on the part, I'll be like, hey, you know, take this and run with it, or and I'll tell the guitars, here's my very basic an idea, make it make it pretty, make it sound professional. <laughs> um, my keyboard is great at at, at um, at carving out like interesting chord voicings and whatnot so you know i'll play something even if it's just rooted out on the bass and he will you know help determine oh this is a minor seven with a g extended whatever the heck man and, you know he, he pieces all that together so um depend you know it depends on the song some of the songs can't come together more fully formed than others and there there are songs where the band gets inspired and goes off on a tangent and it, and it totally works and it's, and it's kept in the, in the song, you know? Now I, I did read
0: that one of your favorite albums is Verve's storm in heaven. Oh yeah. That is possibly yes. my favorite album of all time.
1: Oh, well, so the, so I could see how you would like us.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely adore that album. I, li- I still listen to it constantly. I got it when it was new. So it's, Oh my God. Yeah. That was, Oh, it was amazing. And then, I can really hear it, and the the drums in the song Rattles, that's, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Pete Salisbury. That is definitely a Pete Salisbury sound. absolutely love it um but one of the things that i thought was really cool was she's the sun. it's got this awesome like moroccan like cashmere type of quality to it mm-hmm. so it's what i one of the things that i thought was really cool about the album was all right so you we, i know you've got these 80s influences but you're also bringing in like 70s hard rock to it as well and it's just i don't know every, every song is just I don't know what to expect because there's so many different sounds that you're drawing from and it's really incredible, very impressive.
1: Interesting about the Verve for, um, you know, I played the bass on both of the records and I played the drums on the last record, okay. um, the recorded drums. And uh, when we were sending um, references, you know, sometimes the engineer or the, um, the producer will ask for references. We always reference that Verve record, particularly for the bass and the drum sounds and the, the vocal, the ambient vocals, you know, that reverb, how they got away with that level of reverb is yeah. is great because they would not I don't think they would. They would. Most labels would allow a modern rock record to come out with that level of effect on the vocal.
0: Oh God, no! And, and
1: he, it's really Richard, cool.
0: Yeah, he just. I I remember reading that he was not confident, and so he's like, "Yeah, just put bury my vocals in the mix, and uh, uh, I'll be happy with that." <laughs> and then, well, the vocals sound great. I love it, man. I I love it, and and each of their albums yeah. sounds a little bit different. So that that's another. I, you know, maybe possibly another thing that uh, I can hear from them in your music is that each, you know, the albums definitely sound different, but, each, you know, each song sounds quite different from any of the others on the album. It's really quite a feat to be able to do that. Thank you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. And I'm with the Painted People. That song is amazing. Going back to the Verve influence, it's it, to me. I don't know if you ever got the um, the re-releases of the Verve's albums, those big box sets they got, like the three, four. I did not. Oh man, you have to get them because they're incredible. Did. I'm with the Painted People. Sounds like some of the heavier, less blissed out B sides to Storm in Heaven. Oh, maybe, cool. maybe even a Northern Soul, but. What I like about it is what we were kind of just talking about, the vocals. You know, Richard Ashcroft's vocals in the first album are down in the mix, heavy reverb. Yours are so much more dynamic, and I, I really, really like that. song came from you Starbucks nine days though right
1: uh yeah that's that's an older song that we we remixed and reworked for the album we thought uh we actually the name change sort of occurred and then and then the record deal kind of happened shortly after that and uh what i did was i had sent them um an ep with five songs and they had they had said that two of the songs which is rattles and I'm with the painted people. They were like, you know, let's put these on, on the debut album. Oh, so awesome. yes.
0: Well that, and, and I'll be honest with you, one of my favorites on that album is sunset. That's just such a beautiful song. There's so much going on that wah that you've got at the end. That just sits just below the surface. That's amazing. That's the kind of stuff I love.
1: Thanks man. Yeah. We tried to be really, you know we like the psychedelic stuff and that that was actually the last song i wrote for the record it was actually it was written when when the album was almost finished i was like let's just let's have like a kind of a quiet ballad that sort of turns into chaos so <laughs> that's kind of what we went with that
0: that's the kind of stuff i love i love stuff like this that quiet that just just builds and builds and builds and you don't we almost don't even realize it it just suddenly becomes this big big noisy song yeah and now you've got a new album and yes. Baroque and Bleeding. Something that I noticed in this album is that you've definitely got, as you mentioned, the Simon Laban influence in your singing. And I hear it so much more in Baroque and Bleeding than I did in Painted People. And I love Interesting. it. Interesting, I love it, actually. I think it's amazing. Thank you. Is he an influence that you're consciously trying to, to emulate a little bit? Or is it just... He's been there the whole time, and that's just kind of what you do.
1: Um, I think it just—I mean, it just—it just comes out of me, based, you know, just um, by osmosis. Like, it, well, it came into me. But I, I mean, it just comes. To, it's just sort of part of um, part of the way the way I approach the way I attack the vocal. I mean, I try not to sound exactly like anyone else, but yeah. um, definitely the way, um, particularly the way he he attacks certain melodies and and that goes along with the way you you actually say certain words when you're singing because they'll trigger certain dynamics of your voice okay so i mean he kind of like in a way was like my vocal coach you know what i mean so yeah. it's sort awesome. of like that you know I, I i've been doing it that way since i was a kid and certain things triggered i guess more more so than other things
0: when you've got the that quality and the tone to your voice which is Awesome. I mean, I, he's oh God. That whole band. I know they're in. I guess they're nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. But to me, they're, they're just. I don't know. For for a band that I still feel like they're kind of underappreciated.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, I mean especially they, as individuals, they've been nominated years ago to the Hall of Fame. They, this is the first time they've been nominated. It's 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 travesty actually. Well, it's, especially as individual musicians, I mean,
0: you know, Andy Taylor. I just thought that dude was just an incredible guitarist.
2: Hmm
1: bassist is great, John Taylor. John,
0: yeah. And then the third Taylor, was it Roger, the
1: drummer? Roger, uh, yeah, he's a drummer. He's a great drummer. I mean, the whole band, they're, 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 they're phenomenal. And we were honored recently, actually last week, Simon has a show on Sirius XM called Woosh. Okay. And they played our, a song of ours from the new record. Oh, wow. And Simon gave a really nice um, introduction. I had done an interview with Sirius and one of the... Um, the DJs, Lori Majewski, really dug the band and we got into speaking about Duran Duran. And she was like, I'm going to give this to Simon. He's going to play this on his show. And I was like, you know, oh, man. I took it for, for what, I, what, I, what I heard. You know, I, I wasn't sure it was actually going to happen. Yeah. And it turns out it happened. And he played the song and they, and they posted a really cool Instagram thing about us. And oh, what man. I dug about Simon was that our label sent out three singles. For him, for basically radio to play. Their broken bleeding song, Monsters and Of Anonymity, a song called Forbidden Love, which was not given to him. And he made a point of saying on the radio show, like, this is my favorite ritualist song. <laughs>
2: so like,
1: he didn't want them to just spoon feed him. He really, because the whole premise of that show is Simon's picking out new talent that he likes. So he That's- wanted it to be something that he chose. And, and that was really an honor for us, obviously.
0: That's funny, because I, I actually wrote down that what I liked about some of the stuff was on the new album is that it kind of sounds like different eras of. Simon Le Bon's vocals, like "Forbidden Love," sounds like something he would do on an early Duran Duran album. While mm-hmm. uh, "Dead Eyes" could be later Laban. Huh,
2: interesting.
0: Because yeah. wow, and that's that's just you know my untrained ears. I don't know. I don't. No, I'm not, no, I'm not no, Simon no, bon.
1: Laban. <laughs> I think also um, the earlier stuff was it was a bit um, punkier. Oh yeah, and. And I think that Forbidden Love is that, is very much a post punk vibe. Dead Eyes is definitely a, a bit more ballad, softer. And I think Duran Duran got into those territories a little bit later. So that would, that would, yeah. that would maybe make sense. Yeah.
0: I know for every songwriter, there's songs that come really quickly and then some songs that are puzzles that take a while to work out. What was the easiest song to write and which one was the hardest one to write?
1: Okay. um, Let me think about that. Let me think about that. I have to think about the the tracks on the record too. (laughs) Um, Okay, the one that, that took the longest was Monsters. I had that chorus laying around forever oh, and I like wow. the forest.
2: I will let you run from monsters that come truth that you ignore truth that you ignore
1: I was never happy with any of the verses that I had for it. I, I don't know that they measure up to the chorus. I still don't know if it, if it does. I, I, I feel like that song is just never going, I'm never going to be entirely happy with that song. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at, I, it was just the point, I was like, you know what? This, this, is work, this seems to work. So let's record it and, and, and try it. So that was the one that, um, that I would say took the most to write, took the longest to write. As far as the easiest one to write, and it's funny because it came to me quickly, but it was very, very difficult to record, and that was the actual song, Baroque and Bleeding. Oh, really? Baroque and Bleeding, most of that song, and I know this is going to sound very pretentious, but most of the concepts <laughs> behind that song came to me in a dream. Oh, um, wow. After having a conversation with a bunch of people. So I kind of just woke up, and, and, and there it was. Recording it was very, very tricky because we had i i put all kinds of electronic drum loops together, and then we played our i played organic drums on top of it and crazy gang vocal, and there's a super super high falsetto harmony on top of it that I had to sing on top of a, a million other voices so it was it was really a project which was you know rewarding in the end i like I really liked the way it came out, but that one. That one actually was written the fastest
0: so i'd love hearing stories like that i love to find out about the the process of writing songs because i don't i don't write songs i don't play music but that's what this podcast is about i i, I want to know how, the behind the scenes stuff this album came together during the pandemic i mean i guess because we're kind of i guess we're still basically in it yeah so yeah. but um, separate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did it change your writing process at all? Uh, and, and have you had a chance to play any of these songs live yet?
1: Well, it changed the writing process in that I became the drummer. Okay. So I had not been drumming regularly, so to prepare for this record, I, I spent a few weeks just practicing drums with the, with the different BPM clicks in my ears and coming up with the drum parts that I wanted to track. Okay. So there was that element. So it's definitely the album definitely has a different vibe because I'm the drummer on it in that respect. The way it was recorded is also a little bit strange because I was our label was was kind enough to give us access to a beautiful studio in Times Square. Oh nice. So I was driving to Times Square in the middle of the pandemic. It was like a scene out of like vanilla sky where where it's empty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I had, my, I had my, you know, um, my choice of any parking spot I wanted parked <laughs> right in front of the studio. The police were not giving out tickets. They let me know that actually when I, because I asked them
2: oh, no. um, <laughs> and, I,
1: and I would walk up and it was just me and an engineer and I would go behind there. Okay. Now we're going to record the bass. Now we're going to record the drums and we're going to send the tracks to the guitar player and then bring them in. And, you know, and, and act. it was interesting that the album started to kind of we kind of finished things up with the album as restrictions sort of sort of started to go by the wayside a little bit okay and then of course we were lucky enough to get ed Buller aboard to agree to mix the record which was totally utter shock for us and, and exciting <laughs> and that's kind of the way it went down you know
0: so you're basically doing most of the instrumentation on the actual recorded album
1: I'm doing the drums, the bass, and the vocals.
0: Okay, so. Keyboards and, key- and guitar uh, band members. And have you had a chance to play any of these songs live yet? Sorry,
1: no, forgot no, about that. No, no, I
0: hate, I hate asking we, two questions at once, but sometimes my mind just craps no, 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 cool.
1: them out. Um, what uh, we did, we had. We were given the opportunity. We did, um, w- once the restrictions started to subside, one of our favorite venues in New York, the Bowery Electric, offered us a show on a Saturday night, like a showcase night for the record. The record had not yet been released. Okay. Everybody had a plexiglass booth, you know, with with, with barriers. And now this was formerly a club where everyone would be on top of each other on the dance floor, you know, hanging yes. on the stage. It was transformed into this futuristic-looking cocktail lounge. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, And we just got up and we performed the record and it was actually one of my favorite shows we've ever done. It was it was very surreal. And a lot of people came up to me. They were like, you know, we're used to seeing your band in a setting where talking over people, ordering drinks, running back and forth. It was really nice to just be able to sit down. You know, they had they had a waitress coming around taking orders and. You know, just hanging out at a table with with close friends and just enjoying the stuff. Over, you know, it gave us a new appreciation for the music. So that was a really um, that was a really fun show, and it was it was a great crowd. We actually sold the venue out.
0: Oh,
2: nice! Um,
1: and we've done about three or four shows since then, all in the New York area. I don't know that we're even able to. to we maybe we're working on some tour stuff in the early spring that I hope will happen. Oh, um, awesome. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, so we played the stuff out, and all of the songs are performed live. Broken Bleeding is performed. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's been the way we've been doing it, you know.
0: When you were writing the songs and recording stuff for Broken Bleeding, being that it was in the middle of a pandemic where you couldn't get everybody in the same room and didn't have a chance to play them live, did you write them Thinking about having to play them live, or did you write them and record them and say, I'm going to record it the way I want it, and we'll figure out how to play them live later? B. Okay.
1: (laughs) I am never going to say, let's not record this because we might not be able to pull it off live. Excellent. My first inclination is, let's make this thing sound as amazing as possible on the album. And We'll figure things out after. Yeah, <laughs> and, You know, I, I remember I read an interview with Jimi Hendrix where he was talking. They were talking because a lot of his recorded stuff was totally crazy. Queen as well. Yeah. But Hendrix had a great philosophy. He was like live is live and, and studio is studio. And I don't I don't even attempt to try to recreate five guitar parts or something live. I give the people a totally different experience. And, and I think that's kind of cool. And I think the Verve do that as well because I've seen the Verve. Yeah. Uh, when they got back together, I saw them. And they kind of jam a, a little bit live and they improvise and Ashcroft changes his lyrics and yeah. go, it goes off on tangents. And that's kind of what makes it exciting to see them. They, you know, they don't just get up on stage like, here is our record and just play it note for note. I mean, that's impressive yeah, right. too, but I kind of prefer, prefer the former. So that's sort of the attitude that I took with this. And luckily enough, the, the musicians in my band are so great that um, there really isn't a song that, that's an issue live. So well, we're able to do it. That's awesome. And I, I'm
0: jealous of you seeing the Verve during the fourth tour. I got a chance to see them once. And it was between A Storm in Heaven and Northern Soul. So they're... Oh, wow. Yeah, they're on the Lollapalooza tour in 94 on the second stage. Oh, and, my God. And that's the, one of the only reasons I went to go to that Lollapalooza. I went, I went to the 92 and the 94. So when
1: did you see them at Lollapalooza?
0: Uh, let's see, and I, it was uh, in Philadelphia at Franklin Park. It was, uh, yeah, it was the year Smashing Pumpkins was a headliner. Uh, breeders, Beastie Boys, uh, were the Verve. They were amazing. They're, they <laughs> I love, I loved the Smashing Pumpkins, but mm-hmm. Verve was the reason I went to that Lollapalooza. And, and they were on the second stage. They were wow. on the second stage. They had, they were they i'm trying to remember it was um i don't even think they headlined the second stage i think they were second from the headline i think the flaming lips were the headliners on the second stage and verve played right before the flaming lips That
1: one heck of a second stage yeah
0: it was amazing now it was so it was 94 so flaming lips i mean i think the only thing they had out at that well their song was that vaseline so she don't use jelly they hadn't exploded into who they were going to be yet, neither had the Verve. But uh, I was such a huge Verve fan. of like, you know, and my funds were limited. So, '94, so I was 21. So, you know, I, I couldn't go see them in, in New York or Philly or every time whenever they came over. And it was no internet, so you know, I, I had to look at magazines and trying to figure out where that when the hell they were playing. So,
1: that's that, amazing.
0: It was wild. That and I saw the '92 one with Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Ice Cube, wow. uh, the Chili Peppers, but I don't like the Chili Peppers, so I left. So, <laughs> so they came on, I heard one not song... Like, like,
1: not my favorite either, but... yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I heard one song. They came out with stupid light bulbs on their head, they played one song, and I'm like, that's it, I'm done. And we left. But they played at Montage Mountain. So it was at the bottom of a, of a ski slope. It was really wild. Wow. So that was the only time I got a chance to see the Verve, so I wanted to go see them with the fourth tour. Well, with any, every tour, but...
1: I would trade experiences, verb experiences, with you any day of the week. I'd much rather would have seen them play "Storm in Heaven" stuff.
0: Yeah, they played a lot of Northern Soul stuff, but Mm. it hadn't been released yet. So I was just, I'm I'm sitting there like, "What are they? Is is this stuff off the early? Because I, I didn't have everything that they had released at that point. So I was like, Mm -hmm. "Is this stuff that?" They've released and I just don't know about or just new. What I don't know what I'm hearing. So,
1: history is a great song. Yeah. Oh man, that and
0: I. This is music. I love yeah. their their more uh, psychedelic stuff. Their, their noisier yep. stuff like Stormy Clouds. Oh yep. uh, All that stuff. It's just. Oh gosh. Uh, actually, where the hell was I in my notes now too? Um. Oh yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention was I love. The fact that you, seem, you guys seem to have a sense of humor about some of the music. Not every song is like some existential crisis or right. um, sad love song. You got a sense right. of humor, like Mothman. My youngest daughter is a huge Mothman. She says she's a, a Mothman enthusiast. So <laughs> I played that for her. She loved it. Oh, that's cool. That's, it remi- again, it going back to the 80s, it reminded me of songs like All You Zombies by the Hooters, you know, songs where they weren't taking themselves super seriously. It was just a fun, a fun song.
1: Yes, totally. We also have, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of sarcasm in my lyrics. Um, the Illusion of Poverty. Mm. Has that as well. Um, I wrote that one after a discussion we had about the grunge era in music. Oh, okay. Um, it's kind of what it's about about the grunge heroes who hated being on stage and hated being famous and hated having videos on rotation on MTV. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're calling MTV asking why their video isn't played enough on MTV. Yeah. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's kind of what the premise of that song is. Um, I love it.
2: You can pretend you're swimming in the mud
0: know exactly what you're talking about, and a lot of those bands, one in particular, lost me on their third album. I was a huge pearl jam fan for ten. I love verses. phytology came out and I'm like no
1: and yeah they never I won mean, me well, back the first, the first album was I think kind of written for Andrew Wood to sing or something right yeah I mean, it was a very psychedelic and yeah, then they became like Neil Young overdrive yeah and I like Neil Young too, but it's just it wasn't what i think pearl jam originally presented themselves as so
0: no exactly mother i love I a huge mother love bone fan they've, they've been a couple album like yield was pretty good no code was all right but after i think binaural was the last one i, I bought that and i liked one song like i am not wasting any more money on this <laughs>
1: I don't know. I think they intentionally took, you know, they think, you know, they kind of took their own path and you have to credit them for that. They kind of put their money where their mouths are. um, And, you know, they fought Ticketmaster at the height of their fame, right? They couldn't even really tour when they were in the top of the world. As a matter of fact, I'll say like, Definitely, my song "The Illusion of Poverty." I was not thinking of Pearl Jam oh. <laughs> they, you know they weren't hating. You know they weren't hating on capitalism while having their tour sponsored by Pepsi at the time. True, and, and, and in shows for t- Ticketmaster. So they actually, when they're staring at their shoes and, and scowling like they lived up to that, I guess. But but many other bands did not.
0: That, okay, <laughs> all right. You make a good point. I rescind my my criticism. All right. You sway me. I still don't like Phytology, but still. <laughs> so what are the plans for the band now? I mean, if you guys, you mentioned you're, you're hoping to get out and tour. Uh, do you have any dates set up or?
1: Uh... We're setting some stuff up for the end of April that, uh, you know, you can check out our, our website, theritualist.com. We're on Instagram, the underscore ritualists. We're on Facebook. You can Google us. We're on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Amazon Music, all of that stuff, um, and, and the announcements will will occur on those respective platforms. We have a video for Broken Bleeding that's out on YouTube. Um, we'll probably be putting out another video for another song in the near future, and um, you know, we're just going to try to line up some dates to support the record. Well, I've
0: enjoyed the videos, like the one for Ice Flower. That is insane. That video is just crazy. It is insane. I was not expecting that. Not my idea.
1: Not my idea. I can't take credit for that at all.
0: It is a great song too. I've really, really enjoyed going back and listening to the Painted People. After, and it's kind of a weird because I listened to Baroque and Bleeding first, and then went back and listened to Painted People. But oh god, they're they're just great companions to each other. They complement each other so well thanks so much
1: All you right. have great for music sir
0: well thank you thank you I will say the same for you I feel like we could do an episode of just riffing music off of each other
1: 100% 100% anytime let me know <laughs>